stay fly, stay fly. A home, from a cash flow perspective, it doesn't generate cash for you. Okay. So you're going to tell me how to spend my money to empower us? Mm. Uh, well, we don't use the term spend. We say invest. You know, everyone talks about do what you love and the money will follow. That's not true. What you should be looking at is what your skill sets are, learning how to monetize them by solving problems that already exist in the market. You're listening to the Fly Guy Show. They do everything on the fly and in such a fly manner. Stay fly, stay fly, stay fly. They the views expressed by the guests are only the views of the guests. Unless we say we agree. Unless explicitly stated. <laughs> hey, this is Larry Thomas here on the Bold School Podcast. You're listening to Psycho Varner's Fly Guy Podcast. Support, like, subscribe, and share. He's saying some good things. Share it. Don't keep it to yourself. Peace, beloved. Peace, beloved. Peace, beloved. It's time for the Get On Code show where the code is empowerment. Our code is empowerment. We should be focused on doing things that will truly empower us economically, politically, spiritually, physically. And to talk about this concept of becoming empowered economically, we have the good brother minister, Zumbi, who's with us. And uh, this good brother has a new book out that's called The Gospel of Afronomics Theology. But we're going to start off with uh, this news-breaking information. So, um, you know, February 21st, which is today, 114, a former cop claims that there's a link between the New York Police Department, the FBI, and the killing of Malcolm X. And this is not surprising. Any of us who've studied what happened with Cointelpro, uh, what was happening with the Edgar Hoover administration and the FBI, and just what was happening in America in general. This is normal. We, we kind of expected this. This is, I'm, I'm glad it's coming out. Thank you. You know, um, thank you, former cop, um, for coming out with this information. But, uh, Minister Zumbi, man, how does this connect with your book? Uh, good evening, Brother Sekou. You know, as I was reflecting throughout the day, you know, with this dealing with uh, uh, the loss of Brother Omawali, one of the things that he talked about was in his philosophy of black nationalism is gaining control over the social, political, economic, and cultural aspects of our communities. And it seems like it's been lost on deaf ears because what we've seen is that anyone and everyone can come in and set up shop, take the financial resources out of our communities, take them to another part of town, and now we're still sitting here poor again. And you can hear Brother discuss that in his famous Ballad or the Bullet speech, where he talks about ownership, control, production, and distribution in regards to the resources we do have. And now that I'm hearing more about this so-called breaking news or breaking information, for me, it's kind of like, okay, we've known about this. Some of us have known about this for 30 up to 40 years. So what makes this so groundbreaking at this juncture? Um, 
for those who may just be getting into it, okay, it's groundbreaking. But for us, we we ask ourselves the question, why now? And the timing is very unique because not only are we dealing with this, but now we also have to revisit the loss of our other warrior ancestor, Chairman Fred Hampton, with this new movie, Judas and the Black Messiah. It seems like any time that someone from an, an oppressed group talks about empowerment, empowering the people, all power to the people, all of a sudden it poses a threat to the establishment or the status quo. So I think these these events are very uh, interesting in terms of the timing, but they couldn't be more appropriate. But they couldn't be more appropriate. I agree. It, it, it's, it's, it's interesting timing, but it's appropriate. But it's more appropriate that we use this time mm. to further our interests. And, you know, I'm all about the empowerment agenda, which is what I push. And, you know, politically, economically, and let's let's go back to the economically piece. Let's kind of mm. focus there right now. We have to do things that are in our collective interest. Have you seen Judas and the Black Messiah? I, I have not. Now, I will say this. When the announcement came that this movie was in production and it was finally produced, my first instinct was I don't want any part of this movie. I'll tell you why. Um, I had the pleasure and the privilege of meeting Chairman Fred Hampton Jr. along with Dead Prez in 2002. And my attitude was if Fred Jr., Chairman Fred Jr. and his mother, Sister Akua, were not involved in the direction of this movie, I want no parts of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I did get to see a few interviews with Chairman Fred where he did say that it was it was a struggle because he and Sister Akua, it was almost like they had to fight tooth and nail to make sure of the accuracy of what was being portrayed versus Hollywood's focus more on entertainment than accuracy. Yeah, I have to admit, I just watched it with the wifey. And uh, even though I did, you know, I put out a tweet earlier today saying, hey, thank you for your service to Sister Akua. I I, I was so dismayed with the Netflix series Self Made about Madam C.J. Walker and Mm -hmm. all the lies and the misinformation I was in that. So I, I was a little hesitant with watching this film, you know, mm. Judas and the Black Messiah, and just wondering if, you know, are we getting another whitewash situation? But I do think, based upon the information that I learned when I was youngster, that uh, a lot of it was kind of true to form. There were a couple of things that may have been a little different, but a lot of it was true to form. So I would definitely say that seeing that film is, is at least worth the time. At right. least worth the time. But... In your book, Afronomics, you describe it as a a conversation or a combination, rather, of Malcolm X's philosophies, black nationalism, and Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Can can you tap into that a little deeper, brother? Okay. You know, in my economic journey, uh, I've read basically everything in Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad series. I've read Think and Grow Rich. I've read a guerrilla marketing series. These are great books, great series. The weakness, if you will, of these books is the lack of a cultural component. 
Okay, it seems like we always want to talk about economics in a vacuum and not within a cultural context that is relevant and beneficial to African people. And so and this book itself was a was a 22, 23 year journey. And so what I had to do was how do I take those economic principles, this economic dialogue and put it in a language that our people can understand. I I call it the Pookie Ray Ray and June bug test is what I call it. Because if Pookie Ray Ray and June bug on the corner can understand what I'm laying down to them, then I know I have a winner. So it's about taking these economic principles, translating it into a dialogue or a language that the people can understand. Because if you can't understand what you're reading, it's like a foreign language. So I have to bring it to the people so they can digest it and then they can put it to work for themselves. So that's that's kind of the simplistic way of, of describing what GOAT is. It's basically Robert Kiyosaki meets Malcolm X's black nationalism. OK, OK. And theology, why did you end up using that term rather than philosophy? Uh, mm-hmm. Why did you go with theology? Well, I, I go back in history. When you study some of our greatest, be it the Honorable Marcus Garvey, the Prophet Noble Drew Ali, and the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad, what they did was they were able to use elements of the black church as a means of uh, using symbols that we're familiar with to bring them into their respective movements. Whether it's setting up the so-called Sunday school where you meet on Sunday, you meet on Wednesday, you meet on Friday. So things that you're already familiar with, let's use them and then bring you into the respective meetings. For me, what I chose to do with the theology, um, for those of you who understand the history of radical uh, Christianity amongst our people, there's a thing called the Black Liberation Theology. And so all I did was add economics to it and says, do we have an economic liberation theology that is ours that we can practice on an everyday basis? If we're practicing our respective uh, spiritual practice, be it Christianity, Islam or Judaism, then how can we create an economic gospel that we can practice on an everyday basis? So it's just taking things that we are already familiar with and repackaging them in an economic format. Ashe, Ashe. I love it. Um, I grew up in a household that was based in liberation theology. My mm. father was a Christian pastor. He was also a black nationalist. Okay. And so we had a really interesting combination of looking at, you know, the Christian, the con- canonized Christian Bible, the concepts Mm-hmm. And then also looking at things that were going to liberate with, you know, liberation theology. And okay. he also believed that it was consciousness, becoming aware of things, <clears throat> particularly black consciousness, that would help propel our family mm-hmm. into a better situation than our family started in. So uh, it's kind of interesting that you bring that in. And we look at um, we look at Noble Jirali and, you know, what he did with early early on with um you know the Morris Science Temple actually it was the Morris Temple of Science first okay. as we know then it became the Morris Science Temple he was also a uh, adept student in comedic thought 
And mm. one of his, one of the other people that he was connected with was the uh, Elijah Muhammad, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, who himself was really involved with the liberation theology. And when you look back at Minister Malcolm X, we know that his father and, you know, his father and mother were both Garveyites. Right. And they were involved with a portion of liberation theology. The uh, Honorable Marcus Messiah Garvey was a, I guess we could really say he was one of the first to preach a liberation theology in Christianity. Um, one of the first notables, let me put no, notables, because we okay. can go back and say they were, okay. But he was, I mean, he, you know, he was the, the notable one. Um, so it's interesting that Elijah Muhammad, Malcolm X, Noble Drew Ali, all of them have this theology that pushes behind them. And so when I see GOAT, the gospel of Afronomics theology, it makes sense to me. It really makes sense to me. But tell me about the Afronomics. Well, the, the Afronomics piece, initially I was just going to call this Afronomics, but I noticed that there were a few other people in social media, Instagram, YouTube, were using either Afroeconomics or something similar to that. So I wanted to make sure that I created something in, you know, that's totally distinctive from what's already out there. How I came up with the whole GOAT thing is, and you've probably been hearing this, this false narrative of who is the GOAT in basketball, LeBron versus MJ, but that's another story. So I said, if I can take this acronym and flip it on its head, instead of looking at the greatest of all time, then let's do something different with it. So I said, well, I can make it a gospel and I can make it a theology. So doing some wordplay, I finally came up with the gospel of Afronomics theology, where you don't really hear too many of us in the ministry of business, economics and finance, because we can't go out here and scream it's nation time and we don't deal with any form of economic theory and i always find it very schizophrenic where we talk about how we 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 hate the white man's capitalism and we talk about how our athletes and our entertainers are slaves but we have no issue wanting to dig into their pockets for slave money so i said that there's 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 a disconnect here there's a problem here okay i said hugo chavez never had a problem with doing right with his people and being wealthy from the oil he had. The same with Gaddafi and to a large extent, Bin Laden. They never used the money for self-aggrandizement. They always used their resources for the upliftment of their respective people. Oh, I think it's so important, man. I think it's so okay. important because um, when we look at the economics, it does bleed into the politics. You know, which is the control of resources. So, you know, I look at this Reese receipt, you know, from one of our ancestors who paid to allow himself to vote in what became Virginia Beach, Virginia. I always show this to my wife's side of the family. And I thank that ancestor for making the price, uh, making a payment to allow us to move towards that. So I know that economics is a strong basis for everything else that goes along with it. Um, now, do you think that a stronger economic base would help us with situations, you know, kind of like this. When we look at all these ancestors who were murdered by our first responders and people who were connected with first responders, our police officers, uh, some people call them domestic terrorists, whatever you want to call them. Um, would economics have saved any of these lives? 
I think they would have gone a long way into not only saving their lives, but maybe the prevention of what I call the domestic terrorism. And I even read somewhere where a police officer said that basically we go after those who we know have no means of politically and economically fighting back. So it's almost like you're dealing with an entity that we call law enforcement that has somewhat of a bully mentality where you only go after people that you know you that they can't fight back or can't protect themselves. You see, so you never go into the more affluent communities because they have the political and economic resources to fight back. So you only pick on those that you know you can dominate and continue that domination. All right. Well, then I look at this situation and uh, unarmed and they were murdered. And some of these people were heavily armed and arrested heavily armed and arrested. And you can tell by the complexion who we're talking about. Um, Are we saying that the white power structure in America has the funds, the political power, the economic power, so the police protect and serve them? Mm -hmm. Because if we understand, and I don't know if you had a chance to watch, I can't remember which hidden colors it was, where Dr. Claude Anderson talked about building a five-story building. Right, right, right. Okay. And and economics serves as that foundation of that building. So economics is there, and then the politics goes on the second floor. The third floor is where you get into law enforcement. And then the fourth and the fifth floor is media and education. Okay, but everything needs a very strong, viable economic base. I'm going to give you an example of how powerful an economic base can be. Um, You're familiar with the old uh, corporate raider T. Boone Pickens. Yeah. All right. Now, to show you the power of economic muscle, he was he was a graduate of Oklahoma State University. And as an alum, he was seeing that the football team wasn't doing too well. So, T. Boone Pickens, he sits down with the athletic department or the the people at Oklahoma State University. He pulls out a checkbook. He writes a check, not to the university, not to the athletic department, but to the football team. He cuts a check for $170 million. He cuts a check for $170 million. Okay. So, we have to understand, we can get out here and shout and protest and scream Black Lives Matter or whatever, but who's going to write the check that can change policy and dictate policy? The Honorable Elijah Muhammad always says that politics without economics is symbolism without substance. Let's okay. get into this book, brother. Let's get into <laughs> okay. this book. I, I, I'm, I'm just tweaking over here. I'm just tweaking. All right, man. So, yeah, let's get to the bricks of it. So, What's the walk away? I'll read your book and we're going to you know, break it down chapter by chapter. But what's okay. the walk away? The, the walk away is I want to give you a cultural framework of how to approach economics. I want the people to be able to look at the business, economics and finance through what I call an African centered lens or an African centered paradigm, because too many times. There are those of us who 
have the cultural paradigm, but no resources to express it. Those of us on the other side who have the resources, but have no cultural consciousness to guide the decision making of the economic resources. So this book is kind of a guide to kind of bring those two together. And when you do receive any type of windfall, be it in a one shot deal or on a recurring basis, you now have a cultural framework that can guide you into making more appropriate and more beneficial decisions with your with your financial resources. Okay. Okay. So you're going to tell me how to spend my money to empower us. Mm. Uh, well, we don't use the term spend. We say invest. Okay. 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 <laughs> so, All yeah. right. Chapter one. Chapter one. What's, what's good? Chapter one, we talk about the need for what I call a belt or a black economic liberation theology. In studying history, I see that for some reason, economics has been this missing piece of the puzzle in terms of our liberation process. Uh, Dr. King only realized near the end of his life the importance of economic empowerment, economic redistribution. Uh, Malcolm began to understand the importance of economics you know, moving into the 1960s. And then we can go even further back to the Honorable Marcus Garvey and others who understand that economics, you cannot leave out of this puzzle or this equation in terms of the liberation of our people. So I dealt with that in terms of what are its benefits? What are, what are the challenges that we have? And to try to do things at a basic grassroots level. I think sometimes we try to do things on such a grand level where we need this mass group of people. What I'm saying is let's think more like SEAL teams where if you were to take five to seven people and you give them a mission, vision, and purpose that they're fully committed to, they can go out and change the world. So it doesn't really require a significant amount of people. So let's say you and a few of your friends, you have a study group with the book, and then based on what you've learned in the book, now you can say, okay, as this small team, how can we apply this to our everyday situation? Not only individually, but collectively and beyond. So that's really what the initial chapter is. You know, the importance of what a black economic liberation theology is. Okay. Chapter two, bro. Okay. Chapter two is where we get into what I call the core beliefs. There's like 16 of them. And since I have my little binder here, I can tap into a couple of them right now. All right. Tap, tap, tap in. Tap in. Okay. The first one is where I say we believe the we believe the universe built man to be self-employed and entrepreneurial. I have a firm belief that by nature, man is self-employed and entrepreneurial. The whole thing of a job is really the it's really the product of the Industrial Revolution. You know, that whole 4040 thing, which we are now seeing is being rendered obsolete through what we call in economics, creative destruction. Okay, and we kind of got a taste of that through COVID, where because of a virus now we've impacted certain industries. Forty two percent of our own businesses have been rendered obsolete and will never come back. 
We're looking at Walmart. Walmart is at the point where now they've developed prototype stores that will be totally cashier free. Okay. So it's forcing us back into what nature has made us to be by nature. And it's also forcing us to do something that I think we've forgotten how to do is create value in the market. You know, everyone talks about do what you love and the money will follow. That's not true. What you should be looking at is what your skill sets are, learning how to monetize them by solving problems that already exist in the market. So you create value by either creating a demand or fulfilling a demand that already exists. So that's the thing what we mean by by nature, you are self-employed and entrepreneurial. And that's really what the circumstances are pushing African people to be. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad predicted in 1965 that there will come a day where the white man cannot employ his own people. We're here now. And it's even to the point where now the white man has realized that by moving into artificial intelligence, automation and robotics, that it helps his bottom line that he puts a robot to work over his own people. So that's Mm. that's where we are today. Interesting. All right. So that was chapter two. Okay. So we get into what we talk about the, I call it the 10 commandments and, and I have to give, (laughs) I have to give credit to my aunt, the ancestor Reverend Ike for this. Okay. And these 10 commandments are very simple, but very effective. One of the things I talk about, and I'll go through a couple of them. Number two, it says, thou shalt invest in learning and mastering the science of money. Now, this is based on Proverbs 17, 16. I'll paraphrase it. It says, what good is it for a man to get money if he lacks the desire to learn how to manage and master his money? Okay, because a lot of times it's like we want paper, we want paper, but we don't want to understand the science of how to manage it and how to master it. For those who have read the Rich Dad series, they're based on six principles. The first principle is the rich don't work for money. And a lot of people struggle with that because all they know is working for money. Okay. So another one that I've written is thou shalt practice the 10% solution. So this is the whole thing about paying yourself first. W. Clement Stone says, if you really want to discover the seeds of greatness within you, you should be able to master this principle. And you can even automate this if you're still working, you know, automate it to where through direct deposit or a wire transfer, you've designated a specific amount to go into an account that you don't touch for a specific period of time. Now, you're not saving the money just to save it. Every dollar that comes into your hands should go to work for you and it should hustle harder than you. Okay, because we've been in a fiat economy for nearly 50 years and you can't just park your money and let it sit there. It'll eventually go to zero. In fact, there's a thing that I didn't put this in the book, but there's a former consultant to the IMF and the World Bank. Since 1914, the U.S. dollar has lost nearly 97% of its purchasing power. Now, we're talking over 100 years. And when Nixon took the dollar off the gold standard in August of 1971, I think he just accelerated that process. 
you see. So the money should always be working harder than you and hustling harder than you. That's why it's called currency. It's always moving. Always moving. Always current. Right. Okay. Another one is thou shalt build wealth with passive and residual income. Okay. Warren Buffett says that in order for you to become financially free and economically independent, you must solve the riddle of making money in your sleep. So let's say you and I are sitting here. If we're not making passive or residual income, then we will forever be slaves to a job until we transition out of here. So we need to create apparatuses that can generate money without our presence. There's two ways that that's done. And you can find this in the Old Testament. It's done through land ownership and it's done through entrepreneurship, which everyone wants to talk about building multi-generational wealth. Those are the two critical components that you need. In fact, I'll show you the importance of land ownership. If I were to ask you, who is the biggest landlord on earth? Who would you say it is? McDonald's. Correct. Okay. In fact, McDonald's owns more land than the Catholic Church. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Okay. And since you brought up McDonald's, um, have you read uh, Ray Kroc's memoir, Grinding It Out? No. Okay. You need to get that. In fact, there's a movie that was done called The Founder with Michael Keaton, where he plays Ray Kroc. Right, right. Okay. There's a Jewish accountant that shows up named Harry Sonnenborn. And... At the time, Ray Kroc was trying to figure out this whole franchise business model where he was barely breaking even. So one day, he and Sonnenborn were going over the books and Sonnenborn asked him, well, when you sell these franchises, who owns the land? Who owns the land? And he sat back and he thought, he says, think about it. You're already getting paid for the licensing fees. Why not also get paid for use of the land? Who owns the land? land? So what was done, McDonald's creates a real estate arm called the Realty Franchise Corporation, which its sole purpose is to purchase prime real estate to set up the McDonald's. So even with me being a franchisee, I own the building, but McDonald's still owns the land. Who owns the land? Okay. And see, this is where you get to build multi-generational wealth when you start studying these elite families that have been rich for, you know, generation and decades and centuries. It's all about income generating land ownership. Okay, you just can't own the land. The land has to make you money over time. Okay. 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 So so those are the two things you got to look at is land ownership and entrepreneurship. You know, I'm not against people buying homes. You know, everybody's in the homes. But the problem is a home from a cash flow perspective, it doesn't generate cash for you. Okay, it's more it's more capital gains. And that's really based on uh, the whims of the market external. Okay, so so that's yeah. So that's the importance of making sure that your land is making you money. I don't care if it's farmland. It's got to make you money. Okay. All right. All right. I want to get you to pause for a a quick commercial break. All right. (laughs) This is how we pay for things around here. Uh, (laughs) Hey, this is Seiko from Positive Vibes. Our firm does credit fixes, tax resolution. We lend money 
to real estate investors and we do debt consolidation. The brother just talked about making sure that your land is profitable. Uh, so if you're a real estate investor, we can put 90% of the purchase price and 100% of the repair costs in your pocket. Yes, we can. It's one of the properties that we just did it for. So we'd love to do this for you because we want to make sure that you can get your Afronomics together, get your economics together, Have make sure your, your, your mind is set on doing things that's going to improve us and gener- creating generational wealth. So we can do that. Give us a call. Telephone number is in the show notes. Back to our good brother who has a book out called The Gospel of Afronomics Theology. That's Brother Minister Zundi. All right, brother. Uh, we were just on chapter four or chapter five. Um, we were talking about the Ten Commandments. Of, okay. Of and I just want to put two more into the record. Okay. 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 Don't uh, give it all away. You know, with the game. No, 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 no. But, but, <laughs> but this is something that 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 our people should should understand. Uh, thou shalt have a wealth building plan and a wealth protection plan or what I call systems. The one thing about rich people, rich people think in systems, okay? So you need a system that can produce the wealth, but also a system that protects it, you see? And I think this is part of the reason why when we start reading these horror stories about what happens to our athletes and our entertainers, they don't build wealth building systems nor wealth building teams i mean look at what's happening with our good brother kevin garnett right now he's in a fight because his former financial advisor allegedly stole 77 million dollars from him okay and i even heard master p says he's talked to athletes he says look you have the right to do an annual audit of the people who are managing your money because if they're doing what they're supposed to do, then they'll have no issue with you auditing how they handle your money. Okay. So that's the that's the other one. And then the last one I talk about, thou shalt practice cultural tithing. Ooh, oh, oh, okay. Okay. I've never heard that terminology before. You got me excited, bro. Cultural tithing. Cultural tithing. I'll give you an example. Okay, let's take Arthur Blank who owns the Atlanta Falcons in Atlanta, co-founder of the Home uh, Home Depot, okay? If Arthur Blank cuts a $10 million check and gives it to the Hillel House or the Anti-Defamation League of Benai Barith, he is practicing cultural tithing. So basically what he's doing is he is giving to what I call a race-first organization that looks out for the overall goodwill of people throughout the Jewish diaspora, you see. So if we were to practice cultural tithing, regardless of who we choose, it could be the UNIA, Nation of Islam, NAACP, whomever we think is a race first organization, can we give a dime out of every dollar to those organizations that look out for our overall best interests of those of us in the African world community? So that's what I mean by cultural tithing. I love that. Okay. I love that. I love that. Cultural tithing. That's yeah. the takeaway. We need to practice cultural tithing. You know, yeah. one of the things that has uh, always been interesting to me in those who were um, evangelical Christians, mm-hmm. believe in tithing 
And I, you know, when they, so they read the, the passage that says, you know, thou shalt put 10% in the storehouse. Now we interpret, well, I didn't say 10%, but the word tithe literally means 10%. So um, it's been interpreted that the storehouse is the church, but it's not explicitly stated that. And so it's been interesting to me when I've been around some of the elders and they'll say, well, I want to give some money to this organization. I need to talk to my pastor to see if I can do that as part of my tithe. And I was like, it says put in the storehouse. (laughs) The storehouse is any place that's going to serve people in the future when there's a need. It didn't say put your money in the church. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't put your money in church. I do. But it doesn't say specifically that that's where our tithe, our 10% should go. So your concept of cultural tithing is intriguing. Mm -hmm. And especially for those of us who are in the, you know, like the AME Zion tradition or those type of traditions. Now you have a two in one because you not only take care of the spiritual, but also the cultural tithing as well. And like you said, it should be a place that looks out for the greater good of those in the African world community. And we know that the AME Zion tradition has a history of doing that. Intriguing. Intriguing. You know. Oh, man. And and, and to give you another example, uh, for those who uh, those are our brothers and sisters in the Nation of Islam. When Albert Elijah Muhammad came with that three year economic program, that is a form of cultural tithing. And he runs that down for those of you who have message to the black man. He runs down that economic blueprint to tell you how you should organize your money. We don't say budget here in in the gospel of Afronomics theology. We say we organize our money because we are the ones who are dictating policy to the money and not let the money dictate policy to us. Mm, mm, Okay. 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 An economic blueprint for Black America by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Yes. Wow. I, I think I I did read parts of that in Message to a Black Man. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know it's also when um, whenever you find the final call, uh, yes. there's a reference to a portion of this. It's a reference to that in the final call most of the time. Mm-hmm. And but you'll you find something. Yeah. And you also find something similar for those. Uh, who have read the Honorable Marcus Garvey's course of African philosophy, where in the chapter where he talks about how to handle your money, he says you should always put away 20%. And he says this, and I'm paraphrasing it. Don't save for a rainy day, but save for an opportunity that comes. Because a lot of times we're, we're waiting for this rainy day. No, wait for that opportunity. So when an opportunity arises, you have the financial resources to take advantage of it. So you always save for an opportunity, not for a rainy day. I say, I say, I say to the honorable ancestor, Marcus Mosiah Garvey. Wow. Wow. He did say save not for a rainy day, but for an opportunity. Yes. You dropping some gems here, brother. <laughs> no, you don't. So, so, so what I want, you're right. So I want, what I wanted to do was to show that Although, you know, this is my book, I want people to have, you know, they say success always leaves footprints. So I want to give people an idea of the influences that influence me that I put in this book. Okay, so were you informed by Amos Wilson? Amos Wilson? 
Oh, yes. Um, we can we can mention Dr. Amos Wilson, Dr. Claude Anderson, uh, Dr. Jim Klingman out of Cincinnati uh, with his black economics program, as well as Dr. Juwanza Kanjufu with his black economics. And yes. so I am I guess you would say I am a product of all of those who have preceded me. I also and this is kind of a personal story. When you get the book, some of you may have already read the dedication. Uh, the dedication that I have to who I call my ancestral teacher, Brother Steve Copley, live and uncensored. Okay. And uh, I have to shout out to Brother Steve Copley. We used to bring him down to the Hampton Roads, Virginia area to speak. Now, uh, I'm a member of Omega Sci Fi Fraternity Incorporated, so he used to call mm-hmm. me an Oath Keeper. <laughs> He's like, you and the rest of them Oath Keepers. <laughs> but, uh, yo, salute to the ancestor. Yeah, he yeah. used to drop it hard, man. Um, right. Ooh, that was a tough time. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so he said you were an advisor to the king, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I was a consort. I was like, okay, okay. 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 Um, and I also did a lecture where I really kind of took some of the information I got from Steve Copley. And it's the African Origins of Fraternity, Sororities, and Masonry. You can find that on YouTube or on the right. Our Black Improvement channel. Um, but that was heavily influenced and informed by the ancestor Steve Copley. Yes. And the reason why I made the dedication to him was because, you know, having had a chance to, to walk with him and interact with him, what I noticed is that too many of our scholars, too many of our activists have left this planet in poverty, hunger, and want. Okay, where we didn't take the time to create an economic base for them to be able to do their work without stress and struggle, which is why I am totally against bootlegging of any sort. Okay, because I can't come to you as a brother in the spirit of my yacht and then cut your throat and drink your blood for money. Okay, so in the in the gospel of Afronomics theology, it's not only about resources, but it's also about principle. You see, so we can't just be all about the Benjamins if we don't have wise counsel within us and outside of us to teach us how to make the Benjamins work for us. You know, there's new technology that's out now. If Brother Copley and Dr. Amos Wilson, Dr. Clark and others were here, would we be able to plug their knowledge into this new technology to where they can disperse it and earn the type of residual and passive income that they truly deserve? Well, I I think it's happening now when you look at Mm -hmm. podcasts and show like Earn Your Leisure. Right. Uh, They were just on The Breakfast Club. They have a great one. There's a sister named Ashley Fox who has a wonderful platform called and a wonderful platform called Amplify. Uh, and, and then it, there's a couple of other ones. There's a sister, her last name is Rich. I think her name is Denise Rich, uh, okay. a Hampton University graduate who created a game that's it's an app. It's an app on your phone that's a game that teaches financial literacy and investing. Oh, okay. yeah. um, so I, I think you know, what's kind of interesting is the information that our ancestors left us is now becoming action points right. for some of us, but mm. far too many of us. Okay. 
it's becoming action points and it's up to people like you and I and your your wonderful book, GOAT. And I'm starting to think, man, just listening to you, man, uh, the, the terminology of GOAT must, you know, must be applied to you and your book, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> I say to that. I say. I say. Uh, did we go through all the chapters? Because um, I stopped well, you on Copley. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the reason why I brought up the whole thing with Brother Copley was, you know, unlike, well, along with, uh, if you remember how the 90s were from the, the, the late 80s into the mid 90s, okay? And you look at the warrior scholars that were out there amongst us that was producing content. We were putting it on, you know, VHS. I mean, you probably remember, you know, we were taking breakbeats and then put over the breakbeat snippets of uh, lectures from Minister Farrakhan and Brother Coakley and Dr. Jeffries and, you know, others. Barashango, yeah. Right. I, me and Barashango worked out a thing where I made Barashango mixtapes. I'm a DJ as well. And so okay. I would take Barashango's. His, his his work and right. I put it over tracks and everyone was doing that with, with Malcolm and you know with the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan and Got with uh, Khalid Muhammad mm-hmm. you know yeah um, we used to bring Professor Griff to town in the Hampton Roads area and we would take his stuff and mm-hmm. it would be on a mixtape you know a, a week later you know you're right man you're right yeah um, and, and, and you think- mentioned Dead Prez mm-hmm. I want you to finish your thought but then I want you to talk about the connection you have with Dead Prez. That, that, right. They're my favorite hip hop group. Okay. Well, the, the going back into the 90s, you know, I was talking with a couple of brothers uh, who are friends of mine in the nation. And, you know, they were anticipating this book. And now that it's out, one of the questions I always ask them is I said, think about this, brothers. How much money did the nation lose in the 90s from the bootlegging of the minister's lectures that could have gone into your three year economic program to where you could have continued the purchasing of farm equipment, farm land, other forms of real estate to, you know, expand the empire we call the nation of Islam? Okay, so it seems like that our greed and the colored folk business, I'm giving you the PG version, the colored folk business that we do. Okay. We 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 tend to want to uh rob our brother, you know, but then give the excuse of, well, I gotta eat. Oh man, it, it blows my mind because I, I don't do bootlegs either. And I have uh family members who are bootleg um royalty. <laughs> they're bootleg royalty and I'm just like nah and they're like well they made enough money I'm like okay you looked at their bank accounts you looked at the legacy they're trying to set but they're like right. nah they made enough money they don't, my little stealing here is, and they don't even use the term stealing I use the term stealing because you, know, you bootlegs are stealing um what I'm doing here is, you know, technology allows me to do it. It's not going to hurt them. They already made their money. You know, they come up with every excuse in a book. Mm-hmm. And what even? Come- yeah. And what even gets me? Now, I'm not a part of Tyler Perry's target market, but as a brother who deals in business and economics and finance, I defend his right to make a righteous dollar and to put his people on and create opportunities for his people. I've seen people justify bootlegging. Tyler Perry's work. And these are supposed to be the staunch, sanctified, holy rollers that have no issue. And they say the same thing about Tyler Perry. Well, he's made enough money. Well, 
the 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 money that you take from Tyler Perry, he may not be able to put on an up and coming actor or a screenwriter or another filmmaker on his payroll. So we have to begin to look more holistically and understand the interconnectedness of the decisions we make and understand that there's a ripple effect with everything that we do. I say everybody got to get paid. We need mm. to keep the money circulating. Like right. that, um, it was a uh, Gladys Knight in the Pip song where they said, let the money circulate, let the money circulate. Mm. I remember that brand new being looped that and sampled that in one of the songs and they paid for that loop. So that, you know, it, that's good okay. to see that within the hip hop community, you know, after we were forced to do so, uh, we started paying for the loops. <laughs> we're paying for the content that, that right. we created, mm-hmm. you know, and we let the money circulate, let the money circulate. Right. Um, wow. Did we get through all the chapters in your book, brother? Because I want to give them a little teaser so people can do what I did and pick it up on Amazon. Okay. Well, you know, I'm kind of, I kind of look fast forward a little bit and I want to kind of touch on because I've created principles because we've gotten past the initial part. Now I want to get into the kind of the principles. And like I said, I don't want to give it away, but just give you enough to where I can stimulate or pique that interest. Okay. So one of the things that I say is the first one, we want African people to make a lifelong commitment to their personal development. Okay. It's not enough for you to make money. You have to begin to constantly commit yourself to lifelong learning because we know that the only thing that stays the same is change. Change is inevitable, but progress is not. So you have to always stay on top of your game. We take L.A. Reid. How many record executives do you know that actually attends business school? He actually got a certificate where he just completed Harvard Business School. Ja Rule just did the same thing. Okay, right. because you understand it's not the music, it's the business side that determines whether or not you eat and whether or not your uh, your progeny or those after you will eat. I heard a story where on Nas's latest album, guess who he made the executive producer of the album? It was his daughter. So now he's made sure that his daughter will continue to eat long after he becomes Ethan. Okay, and see, this is how we have to begin thinking in terms of not making our children's children's children always start at zero every 20 to 30 years. I check. Okay. I check. And I want to take note that you have a Gospel of Afronomics Theology Facebook group. Yes. So, uh, hey, take my request, man. I, I, I requested to join. You got to accept me. <laughs> no, I already did. I already okay. did. Okay. Yeah. Cool, so cool. I just in. probably need to refresh it. Um, but it looks <laughs> okay. to me like you have some great... Oh, I watched that. Uh, okay. You have yeah. some great content on here, man. Yeah. So I always you have some great content. Put, you know, put quality content on for the people because the one thing that we need to do is we need to feed the people with quality content, not this fast food noise that that's all over, you know, cyberspace and social media right now. Okay. Okay. You know, so so we need to, like I said, our people deserve Angus, not that hoghead cheese and neck bones that they've been conditioned to eat. <laughs> you have a post on here that I think is kind of intriguing. You're mm-hmm. saying that you don't advocate 
parents giving children an allowance. Yes. Okay. My rationale is this. Knowing how volatile this global economy is, and like I said, we're we're going through a pandemic with COVID-19. Look at the businesses that have been affected. Some of them have never recovered from COVID-19. Okay, so what I'm saying is, is that we have to teach our children how to create money, not work for it or beg for it, you see. So if we teach our children how to create money, and that's why I kind of feel bad because you and I growing up, we always had the lemonade stand. We always had the paper route. Other things that we can do to create money by providing value in the market. And that's what we need to start teaching our children to do is to produce products and services that enhance the quality of life. So that's why I said we need to learn how to create money, teach our children how to create money instead of work for it or beg for it. So that's a that's a a subtle mind shift, but it's a it's a powerful one. Okay, I like that. And tell us about Liberty Hall Media. Uh, And salute to everybody in New York. I'm originally from Brooklyn. I want to salute all my uh, Brooklynites. You know, Brooklyn is a blood type. And I'll leave it at that. (laughs) Tell us about Liberty Hall Media. Um, Liberty Hall Media, and for those who are familiar with the name Liberty Hall, is the meeting group of the UNIA and our leadership, the Honorable Marcus Garvey. Uh, It's a multimedia company where what I wanted to create is to develop products and services in the areas of self-help, business, entrepreneurship, personal development. Because a lot of times, you know, everyone talks about, well, we need to have personal responsibility. Well, there's one problem. You can't expect someone to practice personal responsibility if they've never been personally empowered. Okay. See, that seems to be a, 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 a that missing piece of the puzzle. If I'm not empowered, then how do you expect me to make responsible decisions? All right. So if I don't know any better and I'm feeding my children off of McDonald's and Burger King and churches and Publix, but I've never been empowered with what proper nutrition is then what, what else do you expect of me until you've empowered me with the proper information so I can make better choices for my family, you see? So in order for me to be personally responsible, I have to be personally empowered. And that's what Liberty Hall Media Group is focusing on, empowering people to make more responsible decisions. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Let's talk about the book one last time. Uh, okay. Before we, you know, before we tap away, <sighs> Gospel of Afronomics Theology, a 21st century blueprint for black economic power. Uh, look, we have about six minutes left. What are the, some last final things that we can say about this beautiful book of yours? One of the things that I did with the book is, <clears throat> and I probably don't do it overtly in the book, but we have to start attacking certain sacred cows, if you will, that people buy into. Okay. Going back to when Richard Nixon took the dollar off the gold standard. Okay. The money rules that worked prior to 1971 don't work today. And so I had to make sure that what I put in this book was relevant 
for the 21st century and beyond. You know, I have a friend who's originally from Cape Town. He's in he's in the Boogie Down Bronx. And what he told me was when he began reading the manuscript of it, coming out of an apartheid situation, two of the things he said he struggled with before he finally caught on with it. He struggled with paying his himself first. And he also struggled with making his money work for him because he came out of a situation where he always had to work for money. But it took him study. It took him uh, some trial and error. And it actually took him going into business to understand what I was talking about when I said that you should always make your money work for you and that you should always pay yourself first. And what are the benefits of that? So if I see a brother from another continent gain benefit from this book, then now my audience has expanded beyond a U.S. border. And now this book can actually serve the interests of the African world community, which now we're talking at least what, one to 1.5 billion. Hmm. Okay. 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 And specifically for those of us here in the United States of America, Mm. how quickly could this mindset shift change our experience here in the States? If we were just to practice certain things first, so we talk about paying yourself first, number one. I also talk about can you, for those who are still working, can you put away 30% of your annual salary and turn it into a stream of income outside of your job? Okay. So let's say you were to put away 30% of your one year salary and you decide to write a book based on whatever your knowledge base is. You put your knowledge in a book form, you upload it to Amazon and you're using freelancers through Fiverr. And we can discuss that, you know, in a future time where we can also show you how to be able to create content with little to no money. It's kind of a guerrilla approach to, you know, entrepreneurship and financial freedom in the 21st century. So there are things you can do in this book to where you can have short term and long term success. Okay, because I know how how hurting a lot of our people are. And the main thing is to get you to just start doing something to build momentum. Okay. Okay. In our last few moments, I need to do another shout out to one of our other sponsors. We've learned that what you put in your body is important, but what you put on your body is equally as important. So you need to make sure that you have healthy for your body, health and beauty aid. So go to commonsenseforyou.org. That's commonsenseforyou.org for those healthy health and beauty aids. For instance, we've learned that teeth, you know, when you're looking at brushing your teeth, toothpaste is great for cleaning, but it's not great for your body. So if you go to commonsenseforyou.org, you can buy some of their tooth powder, which is better for your body than the toothpaste, the Colgate, and some of the others that we're working with. Also, we want to shout out IamLitaWee.com. That's IamLitaWee.com. Microblading by IamLitaWee.com. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right, good brother. Uh, Look, give us the wrap up, man. You've given us so many jewels. I really love the concept of cultural tithing. Mm Mm-hmm. Give me another jewel I can walk away with. We're walking away with the jewel of cultural tithing. 
what's another big jewel we can walk away with so we can go buy your book? All right. Here's a quick jewel. There's well two 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 uh two jewels I'll give you. Okay. One is what I call positive imbalance. Okay. I'm assuming you you have a personal financial statement. Yes. Okay. Positive imbalance means this. Every 30 days that you review and update your personal financial statement, you should have a positive imbalance, meaning that your assets and your income revenue should be greater than your liabilities and your expenses. That's what I call positive imbalance. Okay. The other thing I talk about is economic synergy. Now, Dr. Claude Anderson calls it vertical integration. What I mean by economic synergy is this. Anytime you walk into an ethnic community, the businesses within that community complement one another. There's no competition. And I'll give you an example. If I were to come into your neck of the woods and I see that there are barbershops, hair salons, nail salons there, do I compete with you for the same dollar or do I create a warehouse distribution system to where now I turn potential uh, potential competitors into customers and clients. Okay. And then I go into that in my book where I said, okay, now I've created customers and clients out of the barbershops and the hair salon people. I also create businesses by looking for black accountants, black insurance agents, etc. So what I'm doing is, is that I'm developing other industries to complement the existing industry within that ethnic enclave. Okay, that's what I mean by economic synergy. Everything, you should never have to compete with your brother. You should always complement what your brother or sister is doing in the market. Wow. Okay. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. We've been talking with the brother, Minister Zumbi, uh, the author of the great book, GOAT, The Gospel of Afronomics Theology. You can pick that up uh, at your favorite cultural bookstore, your black bookstore, you know, melanate uh, melanate your money movement. So pick (laughs) that up there. Uh, You can also go to his website. We pop that on the channel a couple of times. It'll be in the show notes. And uh, Minister Zumbi, any last thing you want to say very quick? Mm. What I will say is this. This is the age of being entrepreneurial minded. And like I said, the universe is returning us back to what we are by nature. And that is self-employed and entrepreneurial. The days of the 4040 picking cotton for somebody else that's gone. So now we have to get back into producing for ourselves and our brothers and sisters. This show was brought to you by Positive Vibes Incorporated, our consulting services. We do credit fixes. We do tax resolution. We lend private money and debt consolidation. So if you need some of these services, we're waiting here for you. Credit fixes, tax resolutions, private money, and debt consolidation. Make sure you call Positive Vibes Incorporated. Take care. Stay fly, 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 stay fly. The views expressed by the guests are only the views of the guests. Unless we say we agree. Unless explicitly stated. Stay fly, stay fly, stay fly, stay fly, stay fly.
Stay conscious. Stay fly. Hey, hey.